Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Antioch in the book of Acts and how it can be a model for ministry for us. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to thank you for listening to our sermons. Our church runs on a fiscal year. That means that we are currently thinking about the work God has done in our church in the last year. One of the big things that we are celebrating is how many times our sermon audio has been listened to over 40,000 times. We reached the top charts in multiple countries in the category of Christianity, and people in countries all over the world listened. The most listened to sermon was one I preached in 2015 called Psalms, Hymns, and Songs. The most listened to sermon that was preached at our church this year was Water Into Wine. Perhaps even cooler is that I was able to talk to people who have been impacted by our sermons that don't even live anywhere near us. We are not a big church and it is truly amazing to know that our sermons are making a difference. Anyway, I want to say a big thank you to all of you who have taken time to listen, especially those of you that listen consistently. From those of you in Delta, Colorado, to those outside of Wichita, Kansas, to those in Los Angeles and Dallas, to those in Boardman, Oregon, to those in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and everywhere else. I love knowing that you're out there. I love knowing that the preparation I put into making a sermon is important far beyond the walls of our church. Thank you. As always, I hope that this sermon and all the others will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hello, everybody. Uh, My name's Kyle, and I've been going here about a year, which is kind of crazy that they would let me up here. And... Uh, but before this, I actually was a pastor for 10 years, and uh, so I have a little bit of experience, but if I screw up, just blame it on me being the new guy. So, um, but we're going through a series uh, where we're talking about the church in Antioch, and uh, it was a crucial church in the history of the Christian church and has great lessons for us today. One of the reasons that the church in Antioch was so important was that it was the first church that had the majority of its people be Gentiles. Every Christian church, so people who believed in Christ and followed him up to this point, every church was primarily Jews. And so they they often uh, went by Jewish laws and Jewish traditions. And now there was this new church rising up that was not Jewish, and people who saw Christ in this message and were transformed by the Holy Spirit and yet didn't have this history of what the church of God had been for years and years and years. And so this created a little bit of stress because there was change. Whenever there's change, there's always stress in, in our lives. And so the, the church kind of went through this time of stress and change and, um, you know, Chuck and, and Brian, they gave us some great messages about how uh, the church in Antioch, they came together, they had unity and joy, they, they persevered, they persevered through, through difficult times um, where they were persecuted, they shared their stories with one another, and they were encouraged by what God was doing in each other. Um, and there were... They came together, though, and they were different, and, and that's difficult. I don't know if you've ever sat in a room sometimes with people who are totally different th- than you, but it's hard, um, and so, uh, but even amongst that, there was a love and acceptance to a degree, 
Um, but there was also some tension, especially about some of the big topics of the day. So uh, let's look at Acts 15, verse 1 here. So uh, let's, it's a, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they come, these Jewish people come and say, hey, everybody, you need to be circumcised if you really want to follow God. If you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised. And the guys are all like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a big ask. It just physically, it's a big ask. Um, but, uh, but also... There was so much more to it than just this idea of being circumcised. Because what does he say? What did they say? They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses. And so this was a really loaded statement. It's like, yes, you have to be circumcised, which is a big deal, but this is also saying you are taking on the law. You are taking on the Mosaic law, all the traditions. All, like, they had things like you had to wash your hands this time before you do this thing. And uh, actually, there was, there, in Galatians, you see uh, Paul actually was admonishing Peter because he was doing all the hand washing and the Gentiles weren't doing these hand washing. And, and Peter was like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to eat amongst these people because they're not washing their hands. And, um, and so there was this, this tension between there and these people, these Jews feel like they have something to say, and they're like, "You need to be circumcised, and if you don't, you're not really saved. You need to to do this." And so they take this burden from them and put it on these new believers. It was a burden for them, and and if you know anything about the Jewish tradition and what happened in, the past, in their history, it was a history where they constantly, constantly failed to live up to the law. They, they, they messed up over and over and over again. And I think the only reason that they always come back to circumcision is because they often had it done when they were babies. And then they're like, hey, you're grown men, you want to have it done? You know, but uh, and so it's like we got it done. We are good, right? So, but they bring this up, and, and they want to take this burden of the law and kind of place it on them. And so, um, they these certain people. I think it's so interesting that the. the Luke, the author of this book, uses certain people came down. He's like, those guys. Those guys brought this up. And he brings it up and he says, certain people want to, um, and we look at these people that, that, that brought this question up. And it, it's easy right now in our day and age to say, like, of course you shouldn't. We, we don't need to do those things anymore. It's kind of like they're obviously wrong. They're stuck in the past. But I think that it's actually all too true that we who believe can fall in this place where we want to take the burdens that we've lived through and place them on others. And we take 
the traditions, our, our struggles, whatever we've been through, and we want to put that on others. Um, I remember a time uh, when I was in church. When I was a, when I was a teenager, I, I really loved God, and I and I was really very zealous for God. And I, but the other thing about me, there was two things you should know about me. One was I was zealous for God. The second was I always wore a baseball cap, always. I I. I had my Braves cap, and I wore that thing everywhere. Even in my senior photos, I forced my mom to take a picture of me in my baseball cap because I was like, I'm not, I don't like my hair. I'm not doing this. So to me, I, and so I wore this wherever I went. It was just a part of me. And, and so I was sitting in church one day worshiping God. I think I was really into a song, and this, this, this older guy comes up behind me, taps me on the shoulder, and said, you are disrespecting God by wearing that baseball cap. And, and the fact that I remember that still today communicates something about the weight of those kind of burdens. He took his burden, which maybe for him was an important part of his faith of respecting God. But he put that on me, and I felt guilt and shame. I was like, am I not loving God because I'm wearing my Braves cap in church? And uh, uh, there's another thing. Some of you, I don't know, how many of you remember a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Anybody remember that book? Yeah. I grew up in the heart of that. So uh, all my friends and everything like that, this book, what it said is it said, you know, we want to be pure. And so for unmarried people who want to be pure, what you need to do is you need to give up the dating scene completely. And instead, you should court with marriage in mind, which was an interesting idea, and the heart there was good. It was a good heart because it's like we want sexual purity. This is great. Um, but it put this burden on a lot of my friends I, I was the type that I'm like, this is stupid, I'm not doing this. But <laughs> I know a lot of people felt such like pressure to be a certain way. It put like, there was a lot of image consciousness about it. Like I have to look like I'm much more sexually pure than maybe I am in my heart. And, and there was this burden. And it's interesting because the author of that, Joshua Harris, today he is actually struggling with his faith because of this burden that he's seen that is placed on people often when we come to faith. And this was what was happening here in this early church. They come and these Jewish people say, we want you to be circumcised, to take on the law of Moses in order to be saved. We want you to act like the church of God has always acted. Which is interesting when you think about it. When we look back, it feels like that is very different. But what they were asking for was they were asking, hey, come in line with how, we've, how we do things. This is, for the history of God's people, this had been always the way that God's people had acted. How they had always met and gathered. And they're saying, let's do this. Come and join us in this. And so this was the state that we see in the, this church in Antioch. So uh, 
So let's look and read on in the story here. So in Acts 1 through 6, I'm going to repeat one here just for context. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp debate with them. I, I love this, first of all, just a quick aside, like Paul here, who is like, very like rule-based is like sharp dispute with these people who are looking for circumcision, like to make circumcision required. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. So they're going through, and on their travels, they're telling people about how Gentiles are coming to hear the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is moving, and, and good things are happening, and, and their lives are being changed. And people are like, that's awesome. This is great news. And when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And so this kind of leads into this big section where there's a huge debate going on. And I, lo I, I love it when people who have strong passion and love for Jesus come together with differing opinions. I like this. Uh, some people, that stresses them out. I love to be able to come together with people who see things differently and say, hey, Let's talk this out, figure something out. And, and that's what happened here. They come together, and there's two very different polarizing ideas. Should we require circumcision? Should we require the law? Or should we allow them to be free from the law? This is a, this is a huge decision. And, and I actually think in our day and age, there are, there, are, there are many decisions that the church is making today that feel like this. There are big issues going on with the issues such as like gender identity, abortion. Um, there, there's all these kind of things. Um, you know, women in, in leadership, all those kind of things are issues that that are very key and, and wise people who love God are coming together and saying, I see this differently than you. And, and I think it's important for us to see that unity and, and take that as a note that like, not everybody's going to see things the same way that we do and they can still love Jesus. Um. And so this debate comes up, and, and they're talking back and forth, and, and I imagine that these Pharisees who bring up the message are like, this, this is God's way. 
This is the way God has worked. He's given us rules. He's given us guidelines of how to worship and follow him. Why can't we just put what? That seems like it makes sense. And then there's the other side where it's like, they, the Holy Spirit is moving. One thing I see through this story is that the Holy Spirit was moving in the Gentiles. And they're like, the Holy Spirit has moved, and you know what? They haven't obeyed any of those laws. They haven't given it, they haven't been a part of that, and God is moving in their lives. And so, and so there's this debate going back. I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that conversation, but we only get like the really brief summary that goes on here. And um, the church in Antioch, back home, imagine their state. These Gentiles who were like, hey, you have to obey the law. And now we're sending off like two, and maybe, maybe it was like 10 people because there were some other believers that went with uh, Paul and Barnabas, and there was like a group of less than 10 people going, deciding your fate as a church. And, and it's, it's like, whoa, this is big. This is a big deal. This is tense. What's going to happen to us? Are we going to have to give in and do whatever they say? What's, what's happening? What does it mean for our church? And um, after the long debate, uh, Peter the, the Peter you know, the, the rock, Jesus' is Peter, sets the tone and ends and writes a letter back that he sends with Paul and Barnabas back to this church in Antioch. And the crux of the letter is summed up in Acts 15, 28, and 29. It says this, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And so Peter, the apostles, the elders, they write back this letter. And, and, and the first thing they say is it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love this phrase. I don't get it fully, um, but like, I love that phrase because they're not like this. We are, sometimes when you come out of a hard debate, you don't know for sure whether you always made the right decision. But they were like, it seems like this is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to. And I think part of the reason they felt that was because they had seen the Holy Spirit work. They had seen the Holy Spirit changing lives. And so they say this, the Holy, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us, and they, what did they say? Not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. This is a radical statement. I, I, reading this, I was really nervous to get up here today because it's like my first time here, like, and it's like, you know what, no burdens, whatever you want, like kind of message. Like, th this is the message. It's like, no burdens. We don't want to burden you with rules. That's a big, 
message, a very, like, probably controversial one. I'm sure there were people who were not happy with this decision. And he says, so we don't want to burden you with the law, with all those things that have weighed us down, but there are some following requirements, which to me, this, this statement, this next statement, I, I just have to talk about it because it's weird. Um, you are to abstain from food sacrificed idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And in our day and age, it's like, okay, yeah, easy. I'm not eating any food sacrificed idols. I'm not, I'm not drinking any blood, you know. I'm not strangling animals and eating them. Uh, but then, like, sexual immorality, oh, okay. That's kind of a big one. And it, it feels very out of place, like, in this list. You know, you make a list, it's like, this is, one of these is not like the others. <laughs> but, and I think sometimes, I, I think when we have a list like this, it's, it's important to kind of ask a deeper question because we come to the Word of God with our own perspectives and our own culture and our own uh, understanding of what things mean. And they saw this, I think, differently than we might read this. Because to us, the only words that stick out here are sexual immorality. But to them, as I studied, I think maybe, I could be wrong here, but it seemed like the, the things to abstain from were, were things that were connected with the pagan rituals and, and, uh, and gatherings of the day. You see, like I said, the Christian church, the non-Jewish church was rising up. And when you rise up as something new, you don't have an identity. You're, you're setting your own identity. And in the culture around them, there were these pagan gatherings where they would get together, they would sacrifice animals to idols, and then they would eat it. They would drink blood as a part of these. They would strangle animals and eat it. And there was sexual immorality that was rampant at these gatherings. And so I think that when the Gentiles in Antioch heard this, they didn't hear, okay, like, these are all the rules except for these ones. I think what they heard was, you need to be different still. We're calling you, you are not just any religion you are not just flippant. We're not just accepting of, what any, of anything. We are God's people. And we need to, there is something that calls us to be different. But I, I, I think that if he were writing this today, I wonder what those words would be. I don't know what they are, but I just wanted to call that out because I think sometimes we can get caught up and say, you know what, like, you're free don't burden you with anything except for when it comes to sexual sin. Let's just put lots of pressure on you about sexual sin. And um, I, 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 yeah, I'm going to get to this. So if you're like me, you're probably sitting there a little bit and feeling a little bit squirmy because the message here is, is kind of like, wait, where is the line? What is okay and what's not? Are, are you, is this saying that we can do whatever we want? There's no burdens? Like, it doesn't matter, sin all you want? Paul kind of addressed that in some of his letters, but um, 
And, and there's this, this, if I was sitting out there and somebody else was speaking this, I'd feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. And you, it, hopefully you feel a little uncomfortable too because there is, there is a tension in this where when we say we're lifting burdens, it doesn't mean that, you can, that there, is, there is no regulations. It doesn't mean that everything is good and right. It doesn't mean that we aren't called to righteousness. But I think that when Peter, the apostles, and the elders wrote this letter to the Gentiles, they were saying, they were identifying that those who were looking to place these burdens on the church in Antioch had a misordered gospel. What does that mean? So I'm, I'm, these are my words, not what they said, just making it clear. But I think this is what's going on here. Because when you hear the words of what they said in the beginning, what did they say? They said, you must be circumcised and then you will be saved. So there are, there are some elements to uh, the gospel here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my visual aid here, and you're going to have to put up with my handwriting, which is awful. So, uh, so and I need some audience participation here as well. So what are, you probably know the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's the message of, it's like the core of our faith. The things that drive us as Christians, that give us life. What, what are some elements of uh, I, I'm going to pick if you get them right or not, because <laughs> I have three words in my head. So does anybody know any of the, uh, like, you, you, you got one. What is, what is it? Sure, call it out. Anybody? Okay, what do you mean? Okay, so Jesus saved us, yes. So we are saved. We're saved by grace, right? So I'm going to write here. We are saved. Okay, so we're saved. What, what are some other thing, elements of the gospel? When you think of the gospel, what are some things? I've intimidated you by saying there's right answers. Death. Jesus' death and resurrection? Yes. So Jesus died. So Jesus, oh, well, I did not write that well. J. So we have Jesus who came and died and rose from the dead. Sorry, got to angle it a little bit for the people on the side here. So Jesus uh, died. And one of the elements that I think is a part of this is that we are sinful and he died for us. Like he took on our sins, he died for our sins. So what, uh, like, and then what happens after we are saved? Anybody got that? Everett, you got it in the back? Grace. grace. Okay, yeah, we got saved by grace. That's good. Good job, buddy. What's that? New life. New life. Yes, we have new life. Um, God makes us new. He makes us righteous. And he, he, uh, he leads us into obedience, into right living, into this new life. It's a process that, that it has a big word in churches called sanctification. 
It's where God comes into our life and makes us like him. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, for the sake of the context of the story, I'm going to call that obey, if I can write. And so this is like, I think, an ordered gospel where we're sinful and Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, we are saved by grace And because we are loved and saved and accepted by God, we are led into obedience and holiness. But what happened and what we can do, just like these Pharisees, these other people, they got a misordered gospel where first they said, yes, Jesus died. We believe that. They've totally bought into that. They're like, this is we're in for Jesus, but you need to obey. You need to obey, and when you obey, that is when you are saved. And that is a very different gospel. I don't know, I don't know if you, it, like, just saying it that way feels so different for me. I think about the difference between these two types of living. When I can live out and and become more and more like Christ because he loves me so deeply, am I? Do I need to move over to this side? Great. So, and 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 when I understand God's love for me, his sacrifice for me, and that no matter what I do, that I am saved, that is such, that, that is freeing. In, in one of the songs we sang, um, it's, uh, it, it stuck out to me. I don't know about when you sing songs, sometimes words pop out that never pop out to you before, but it, I think it's because of the context of me studying leading up to this, but it said, where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. And I, and I just think about that because like when Christ is in me and I feel his love, I am led towards obedience. And I think about this kind of in the context of human relationships and like my relationship with my wife. And there are some times where my wife tells me to do something and I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but when I know the depths of her love for me, our commitment, our unconditional love, that we are there and I feel that depth of that, that love, it's easy to obey, even if the ask is heavy. And it's a joy to be able to obey at that point too versus a burden sometimes when it's like she's asking something for me and if I don't do this, then I'm not measuring up and she's going to be frustrated with me and then I'm going to be in the doghouse. You know, those kind of feelings. Like it's a very different feeling. When you have it, Jesus, obey, saved, there is such a burden that is placed on this middle part of obedience. And and I worry about what message we send off because I think that nobody... When we, when we talk with our heads, not many people in the church would actually say this is the way the gospel goes. But sometimes in the way that we act, 
we treat it like this. We take our burdens, the things we struggle with, the things we've done, and we place them on other people and say, you need to be this way if you really want to measure up to what God has for you. Rather than saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit work in your life. Christ loves you. Accept that and be changed by that. And so, you know, I see the way the world right now views a lot of, a lot of the world views the church, especially in America. And I think that people see, that, that don't, aren't in church, see this out of the church. They want us to obey. They, we want them to obey first and then come. And, and my hope is that we, as people of God, as a church, in our country, in our community, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, our family, that we would communicate this message not of Jesus, obey, save, but Jesus saved us, and out of that comes obedience. Yeah, I can't write. So may we be people who are free ourselves of the burden of always having to live up to the standard of somebody else or something and be free in Christ to live for him. And may we be people who go out into the world and share that with others. And I want to end just, the verse that I actually was given to preach today was Acts 15.31, and it is what I want to end on because it's such a great picture of what happens when we see the freedom that we are given in Christ as God's people. So in Acts 15.31, it says, the people, the Gentiles, the church in Antioch, they read this letter of freedom and were glad for its encouraging message. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you do not require us to measure up to something to be loved by you. I pray that you would release any burdens we feel right now on us and that you would give us freedom to live in you and that you would transform our lives and our hearts. And I pray, God, that obedience would be the fruit of that, that righteousness would come out and that our lives would be changed and transformed by you. And I pray, God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would be a light in our communities, to our friends and family, to our coworkers, and that they would see the love and grace of God, and that they would be able to hear this message and truly be glad. We pray this in your name. Amen.